And there's just such a beautiful sense of God's presence in the house this morning. And as we were worshiping, I think it's just important for us to, like I said a minute ago, as we create space in our lives, God comes and fills it. I love in the story of creation, it says that there was a void. And God spoke into that void and created something from nothing. And I just think in our lives where we create space. I love coming to church. For me, it's a discipline. Every Sunday, well, it's more duty for me to come to church every Sunday. But it's a discipline. It's always been a discipline to create space in my life. And when we do that, God comes and fills it this morning. Um, if you're visiting with us, I just pray that you just have a real sense that you're loved, loved by us and loved by God today. I want to ask you a question. When was the last time you got your height measured? They haven't been to the doctors lately. They're still measuring your height when the last time, you know, hopefully nobody had like a, you know, uh, a run-in where you had to get fingerprinted and you get that little wall with the, the height thing. Not, hopefully you didn't get that recently. But I've been thinking about growth a lot lately. And the reason I've been thinking about growth is because my son is zeroing in on trying to be taller than his dad. <laughs> Over the last few months, it's like every couple of weeks, he's been like, dad, dad. You know, we have this thing in our house. I don't know if any of you have one of these. Many of you probably had one growing up. Anybody had a growth chart like this at your house, right? Maybe you had something fancy like this or, you know, these are for like the millennials and the Gen Zers. We have like art that, you know, measures our kids. But back in the day, you might have had like on the door frame by the kitchen or something like that. I know people that have like moved their house and they like, they pulled like the trim off the door so they could take their measuring stick with them. Yeah, some of you are nodding, right? And uh, this one for, re for reference should be about this tall, just so you know, like fine. <laughs> you know. And, uh, and so we've been tracking the kids since they were little, but all of a sudden, my son's not interested in the chart anymore. All of a sudden, he only wants to be measured against his dad. And so over the last few months, he's been back to back, and we get back to back, and I make sure that he's not on his tippy toes, and we stand back to back. What am I going to do with this now? I'm just going to hold it. There you go. <laughs> and so we stand back to back, and... And uh, he, I can feel him behind me, you know, trying to like, get your heels down on the ground. And a couple months ago, it's, it's become so close. And he thought he had me. And I said, no, no. And I went out to the garage and I got the level. <laughs> I got the level. I said, we need to have, you know, this accurate. And so we've been standing back to back with the level. And I said, you don't have me yet. You don't have me yet. Well, this morning... The bubble was not quite out of the middle, but it was leaning to his side this morning. He's finally caught me in the race. So officially, I want to say congratulations, Jaden, on being taller than your dad. When it comes to your height, you know, how happy are you? You know, anyone here, let me see your hand if you wish that you were a little taller. Let me see if you wish you were a little taller. All right, okay. Let's see if you wish you were a little shorter. Anybody you wish you were a little shorter? couple people, okay. Anyone you're just happy with how you are? Yeah, okay. Well, that checks out because uh, research shows that the majority of us are happy with how tall we are, but one-third of us, one in th or one in three, wish that we were a little taller, and uh, only a few of us wish that we were a little shorter. It's not surprising that women, 7% of women wish they were a little shorter, and only 3% of men. I don't know why that is. But my frustration at being a Dallas Cowboys fan. And so I just thank you so much. Some of you rallied around me in support. And those of you that were like, I don't even care about football, but I tuned in tonight to support you. 40 to nothing. Can you believe it? And this is what they do to me. They get my hopes up. 
40 to nothing. Yeah, this should be easy this week, right? And then at some point, you know, I'm still jaded. They're still going to let me down at some point. But I have another frustration in life that I was going to share with you today. It's just getting to know me. I just want to share my deepest, darkest secrets to you. And my frustration is this, is that as a kid, my mom told me over and over that when I was a baby, the doctor measured me and said that your son is going to be six feet tall. And so all my life, all my childhood, I ate my veggies, I got lots of sleep, I got lots of fresh air and sunshine with the goal that one day I'm going to be six feet tall. How many know that in grade nine, I peaked out at 5'10 and a little bit? 5'10 and a little bit. I never reached my goal. I failed at my goal of being six feet tall. And so for the rest of me, I got to put my hand my hand up and say, I wish that I could just be a little taller instead of just barely over average. Well, here's the thing, though. For those of you that are a little bit shorter on that scale, research shows that people that are shorter live longer. Did you know that? Finnish athletes show that cross-country skiers live on average seven years longer than basketball players. It's not amazing. I don't know why they chose cross-country skiers, but they said on average they're six inches shorter and they live seven years longer than their taller counterparts. Similarly, in the Italian army, soldiers who were 5'4 or less lived two years longer than the average height male. So there, if you're a little shorter today, then you're, you got some good things going for you. And research, uh, this is why they say it as Jean-Marie Robin. He's a demographer and expert on human longevity. He says, when you're taller... Your body has to produce more cells over your lifespan to fill the space, and so you wear out your body quicker. That's what they think happens. And so there you go. For all of you that are short, you've got a long life ahead of you, so enjoy it. Uh, In case you think that maybe you're not as tall as you used to be, that's probably also true. In the lifespan, we tend to lose one to three inches of our height as we age. So this is incredible. Incredible. If you're not happy with how tall you are, you can actually spend $90,000. And there's a clinic in Montreal that will help you grow one to three inches by cutting your bones and inserting rods and lengthening your legs. Can you believe that? Some people need that because they have a leg, you know, one leg shorter than cosmetically just because they want the extra height. Amazing. Here's the thing. I'm well past the point of seeing any growth in my height. Right now, I'm just trying to keep up with my son. Nothing I can do about it. I passed the crown to him today. He's taller than me. But this doesn't mean that I'm past the point of growing. How many know that I want to grow more than I ever have before? How many want to grow more than you ever have before? The more I grow, the more I want to grow. I'm not talking about this way. You know, that's also happening. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about I want to grow to be more like Jesus. Anybody want to grow to be like Jesus? I love this verse in Luke 2:52. It says that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and with all people. Notice with me that it doesn't say that Jesus just grew in knowledge. How many know there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom? Right? Knowledge is what you know. Wisdom is what you do with what you know. Right? It, what, what you know is important, but how you think is even more important. And so a part of maturing and part of growing is not just growing in what we know, but it's growing in how we think. You know, there's not much I can do about growing taller, but I want to have a thought life that's continually growing. I want to have a a perception. I want to have a growth mindset. You know, what is it about some people 
that what is currently doesn't stop them from dreaming about what could be, right? For some people, what's hard doesn't stop them from pursuing what's good. For some people, past failures don't phase them from continually to reach out and pursue future successes. You know, the current limitations of where they're living right now doesn't stop them from dreaming about the future possibilities. So what is it? You know, a lot of us are influenced by what is, we're influenced by what has been, but how many of us are motivated by what could be? Experts talk this, uh, explain this as the difference between a growth mindset and a fixed mindset. A, a fixed mindset kind of believes what is, what my skill is, what my knowledge base is, what my abilities are is limited, and so what I have is what I have. But a growth mindset is thinking that there's always possibility, there's always room for growth, there's always room for breakthrough. And I just think that's not just what we know, but how we think that's important when we want to live out the purposes and plans of God in our life. How many know that we serve the God of omnipotence, of all-powerful uh, strength and ability? And so when we serve that God, we, I want to approach that God with a growth mindset. God, all things are possible. You can do all things, and through you, I can do all things. See, as followers of Jesus, it's not just what we know, but it's how we think that's important. Let me explain a little bit about the difference between a growth mindset and a fixed mindset and see if you can spot the difference. A, a fixed mindset is kind of thinking, I just want to get through what I'm going through. How many of you have ever felt like, I just need to get through this? You know, like if I just get through this experience, then I'll reach the other side. A growth mindset thinks, I want to grow through what I'm going through. That even though I don't like what I'm going through, there's always an opportunity to grow and to be blessed and to be encouraged by it. A fixed mindset says that when I lose, I become low-spirited. A growth mindset says that when I lose, I'm still learning. I'm still learning. I'm still adapting. I'm still moving forward. A fixed mindset says that if things aren't the way I want them to be, then I need to change location, change job, change city. I gotta, I gotta change. I gotta find the change, and I gotta leave where I am to find the change that I want. A growth mindset says if things aren't the way I want them to be, I wanna lean in to create the change that I wanna see. A fixed mindset says, I want to help myself. How can I get ahead? How can I improve? A growth mindset says, not only do I want to grow, but I want to help others around me grow and move forward too. A fixed mindset says, I allow my emotions to control me. Have you ever met someone who is led by their emotions? Right? But a growth mindset says, I will use my emotions to help me. It's not that emotions are bad. Our emotions are revealing something to us on the inside that needs our attention. So our emotions can help us as long as they don't control us. This one's really good. A fixed mindset says, I transfer my pain. You probably heard the saying that hurt people hurt people, right? And so when I have a fixed mindset, I'm conveying, I'm exploding on people, I'm doing to others what's been done to me. I convey my pain, but a growth mindset says I want to transform my pain. I want to transform my pain into an opportunity to bless others, to help them grow, to help push them forward, to help push me forward. See, a fixed mindset leads to apathy and to fear, but a growth mindset leads to faith and to this energy 
that we're moving forward, that nothing is stopping us, that the obstacles in front of us are just challenges to be overcome. And so this is the difference between a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. A fixed mindset sees limitations, and a growth mindset sees the limitless possibilities and potential, especially when we come to the omnipotence of God. You know, last weekend we had, it was a great weekend, and it was just so great to be with you. I told you, like today, the building was full, and we celebrated people deciding to follow Jesus in the waters of baptism. That was so amazing. And uh, we celebrated people signing up to life groups to be connected and cared for. Uh, Hopefully you got a chance to stay and have some fun and food with us in the parking lot, building community and fellowship. And uh, and even those that were engaging online, a few people wrote, they said there was something powerful about that service. There was anointing in that service. I, even where I was watching online, I couldn't help but cry as I watched those people get baptized, as I heard the testimonies, as I sensed the uh, power of the Holy Spirit at work in the service. And how many know that's a great start, but that's not the end? Where uh, The kickoff isn't the finish line. How many know that as a church, we are believing for continued uh, momentum and continued uh, um, a season of blessing and significance in our church, right? But we don't want just our church to be blessed. We want our city, our region to be blessed because we are blessed, right? We want to be blessed so that we could be a blessing to those around us. And so we want to be blessed for me. How many want to be ready, Right? If you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. And so I just think that whatever God has in front of us, I want us as a church to be ready for it. And so we're kicking off a new series today. And our series, in case you can't tell, is written on the screen behind me. It's called Life Shared. Life Shared. And if I could have a subtitle for this series, I would call it Everyone Everywhere. Would you say that with me? Say everyone. Everywhere. Everyone everywhere. See, in this series, we want everyone everywhere in our city to know the love of Jesus. We want everyone everywhere in our region to know the saving grace of our Savior. That's our heart. That sounds like a lofty mission, but it's got to start somewhere, right? We want everyone everywhere to know the love and saving grace of Jesus, but it has to start somewhere. And so as a church that believes in Jesus, we're saying, why not start with us? Why not start with us? So we want to be ready. And so there's a difference between wanting to see something and actually dreaming about something and then seeing it take place, isn't there? Right? How many know there's a lot of things that you dream about that you'd want to see happen? But there's a difference between dreaming about something and seeing it take place. We said last year, if you could go all the way back, a vision without a plan is a fantasy. A vision without a plan is a fantasy. But here's the flip side of that. A plan without action is just a speech. How many know that we don't want to be a church that lives in fantasy? And we don't want to be a church that just gives speeches. We want to have a vision and a plan coupled with action to see this thing come to pass. Are you with me? Say amen. See, we believe that Romans 1.16 is true. I am not ashamed of the good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes. If you believe that with me, would you say amen? amen? We believe that. We also believe in Romans 10, 14. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? If you believe that, say amen. 
Everyone say everyone everywhere. Everyone everywhere everywhere starts with someone somewhere. And so we want to, in this series, talk about how can you and I be equipped to share this life of faith and blessing and goodness that God has given us. We want to be equipping and inspiring, taking, talking to the people we love and care about, about the Jesus that we love and care about. And so at the, uh, if you haven't already, we've signed people up for life groups and we have all of our life groups, you know, during the year they have different things that they're studying. Some of them do sermon recap each week. Some of them study books of the Bible. But we wanted to start, everyone in our life groups this year are going to be doing this three-week video series called Life Think. It doesn't really involve preaching. It doesn't necessarily involve always, depending on who you are. I think that God wants to use you and your giftings and your abilities and your personality the way you are to reach the people he's already put in your sphere. We're going to be talking about that. If you're not in a life group, I want to encourage you on Tuesday night, we have a big group life group. Big group life group is going to be meeting here on Tuesday night at 7. And so I think, I think it's 7. I should double check. I always say dates and times as if I know, but I'm pretty sure it's 7. But if you're going to come on Tuesday night, double check. 7? 6.30? 6.30. There we go. See the, I had an inkling in the back of my head that I was wrong. 6.30, Tuesday nights for three weeks. Even if you're not going to do life groups all year, come to the big group life group here. It's going to be downstairs in the life room, and it's going to be awesome and inspiring. But everyone everywhere starts with someone somewhere. So if you have your Bibles, you could turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And we're going to get there in just a moment as we kick off our series. But before we do, we're going to make a pit stop in the book of Acts, chapter 9. Acts, chapter 9. Now, Paul is the author of 1 Corinthians, and we know that he was a dreamer. Paul had his dream that everyone everywhere would come to experience and know the grace and love of Jesus like he had. But here's the thing about Paul. Paul had grown up with a fixed mindset. See, Paul grew up in a Jewish home. And in this time period, the Jews had this core belief uh, that they were the ones that God loved the most. We see that in Scripture. We see that uh, came through God using them. And along the way, the messaging had got corrupted. And they had this mentality that God loved them more than everyone else. And we see in Paul's life that he was so dangerously committed to this idea and to this group of people that he was willing to, uh, to drive out people from their homes and, and make people flee in fear to foreign cities because they didn't believe the way that he believed. That's really what we see in Paul's story. He was literally dragging innocent men and women to prison and he treated Christians violently. This is what he admits Himself in Galatians 1, he says, I persecuted the church of God and violently tried to destroy it. Paul had this fixed mindset about who God was and who the people of God were. And as a result, he was living out the, the reality, the byproduct of what he believed. And so as this time throughout scripture, we know that he goes by the name Saul. But as you may be familiar with, he has this dramatic encounter with Jesus on the Damascus Road. And in this encounter with Jesus, he has this change of heart, this change of life, and a change of perception, a, a change of perspective. It was a change not only what he thought about Jesus, but a change about what he thought about himself, and a change what he thought about others around him. 
Instead of persecuting others, he began to preach the message of Jesus and love and grace to all. See, in Acts 9, it says in verse 4, that Jesus appeared to Saul and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Verse 5 says, who are you, Lord? The voice replied, I am Jesus, the one who you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the holy city and you will be told what you must do. Acts 9.15, it says that God spoke to uh, another one of his, the one who's been pushing them underground and forcing them out of the city. He said, I want you to go to him. And you can imagine his hesitance, right? You want me to go? <laughs> you want me to go to him, right? And this is what it says. It says, go for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles, the non-Jews. Remember the ones he had this, the superiority complex? You're going to go to the ones who you think are inferior to you and the kings as well as to the people of Israel and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. See, Paul's life, he did 180 degrees. As he recognized Jesus, as he has an encounter with Jesus, he began to perceive himself differently and he began to perceive those around him differently. He had this new purpose that came through a new perspective. Have you ever had that change of heart? A new purpose came because of his new perspective. See, having a growth mindset isn't just about having faith for what God wants to do in others. Also about having faith for what God wants to do in you. You know, we think about people that have ego and pride issues and narcissistic tendencies, all that kind of stuff, but I think the majority of us are sort of on the other side of the fence. Most of us probably minimize who we are. A lot of us think less of ourselves than probably we should. Our inexperience, we feel limited by our inability. And because of that, we disqualify ourselves from what God wants to do in us and through us. But a growth mindset recognizes that who I've been and who I am now doesn't limit what God wants me to be in the future. See, Paul, the persecutor of the church, God says, I'm going to use him to be the preacher of my gospel. I'm going to be the one, you know, who takes the church further and farther than it's ever been before. See, past failures don't disqualify you. Your shortcomings don't sideline you. Your insecurities don't have to paralyze you. I love what Paul prays for, uh, in, in, he says in Hebrews 13, I said Paul, it wasn't Paul who wrote this, but it says, may he equip you with all you need for doing his will. How do we know that you are equipped to do God's will in your life. You have all you need. Bible says you have all you need. All you need, the Bible says, is the Holy Spirit. That's all you need. You don't need abilities, you don't need training, you don't need you know, special set of skills like Liam Neeson and Taken. You don't need any of those things. Those things are helpful, we train those things, we develop those things, but the Bible says all you need is the Holy Spirit. And when you lean on the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, would you, lean, would you lead me? God, the Holy Spirit gives us, he gives us words of wisdom, discernment. You know what? I'm not that great of a preacher, just to let you know. I gotta be honest with you. But every week I sit at my desk and I say, Holy Spirit, would you lead me? Would you guide me? Would you give me the words to say? And somehow it all comes out and people tell me, that just ministered to me. And I go back to my desk the next day and go, wasn't me. It's the Holy Spirit through me. I'm very thankful for the power of the Holy Spirit. You have all you need to do God's will. And so for Saul, the transformation and the shift of his perspective was life-changing. 
It's so much so that he actually goes and he begins to go by another name. We know the, the Saul also begins to go by the name Paul. From now on, we're going to see him written as Paul in the scriptures. Why did he change his name? Well, uh, theologians have kind of two ideas. The, the one idea is that maybe his new life needed a new fresh start. And so, you know, this encounter with Jesus is so formative to his life, so transforming that he said, I'm just going to go by a new name. I'm just going to go for a fresh start. So that's one idea. The second idea is this, though, is that he converted his Jewish name to a non-Jewish equivalent. Paul is actually Latin, and it actually means humble or small. As I said to you, the Jews had a superiority complex. They thought that God had a superiority complex, and they hated them for it. And so they weren't well-liked in society. And so we're thinking here that Paul actually, uh, you know, went and changed his name because he would have been despised as a Jew in the Roman Empire and that he wouldn't have been listened to by the Gentiles. But he had a mission and a purpose. He said, I want to reach those who are outside of my sphere. I want to reach those who are outside of the Jewish circle. And so he changed his name to Paul. A new purpose came with this new perspective. We see this, that he had this change of thinking. As he had a change of thinking, he had a change of focus. You ever had that where you used to be so focused on one thing and then all of a sudden it wasn't as important to you anymore as it used to be? He had a change of focus. And because he had a change of focus, he had a change of behavior. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19, you've had your finger in there for a while. Let's get to that. 1 Corinthians 9, 19 to 23. So says, even though I'm a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who follow the Jewish law, I lived too under that law. Even though I'm not subject to the law, I did this. And with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too lived apart from that law so I could bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God, and I do, I do obey the law of Christ. When I'm with those who are weak, I share their weaknesses, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yet I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and to share in its blessings. Now I love how the message encapsulates this verse. Let's read it again in the message. So says, even though I'm free of the demands and expectations of everyone, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people, religious, non-religious, meticulous moralist, loose living immoralist, the defeated, the demoralized, whoever. I don't take on their way of life. I keep my bearings in Christ, but I enter their world and I try to experience things from their point of view. See, Paul has been so transformed by this encounter with Jesus that he wanted everyone everywhere to experience Jesus the way that he had. And so rather than pushing away, rather than fighting against and alienating those who didn't believe or behave like he did, he leaned in closely and to all. 
Now, to truly understand the depth of what Paul is talking about, you got to read uh, chapter 8 and then into chapter 9. He's talking about those Jewish customs where the staunch religious Jews, they talked about what meat you could and couldn't eat as part of their sacrificial system. And even as new Christians were coming to faith and as they were starting to rub shoulders with those around them in the marketplace, a lot of the meat that was sold there would have been kind of uh, offered to idols beforehand to have it blessed. And so they were like, well, we can't eat the meat that's been blessed to idols. And Paul was thinking to himself, and he says later on in chapter 8, he goes, idols aren't even real. He said, the power of God is, you know, you know, trumps all of that. And so, so I don't really care about where the meat's been blessed or prayed to. He said, none of that. But because it matters to you, it matters to me. He said, I'm willing to put aside my, my, my rights and my preferences because it matters to you, it matters to me. He goes on in chapter eight and nine, he, he says, I, I have the right to a, a right to a wife. He goes, I can have a wife, but I've chosen not to because I have this mission and this purpose that I don't really want to tie down with family life and I don't want to be stuck at the mall waiting for her at the change room. When I could be out here on a mission journey. In fact, you know, so many times I don't want to bring a wife into that. I don't know what his thinking is. But for him, he says, I wish that many more of you would have the same perspective I have. I've given my life to preaching the gospel of Christ. I don't want anything to tie me down. He also says in scripture that it's good to have a wife uh, if you want one. So depending where you lie on that. But he said, I've given up that. Then he's talking to him. He said, I have the right to be paid for the work that I do. I've preaching the gospel. I said, I could ask you, my fellow believers, to support me in my ministry. But he says, but because of what I'm doing, I don't want anyone to get it twisted. I don't want anyone thinking that I'm doing this for the money. I don't want anyone thinking that I'm preaching the gospel of Christ to get rich. He said, I don't want any of that. And so because of that, I'm choosing not to have support from the churches. It's not to say that churches are, but he sets up a whole, you know, in that whole chapter, he said there's a lot of reasons why you should be supporting uh, those who preach the gospel and who lead you and feed you. The Bible talks about that. He said that's all good and fine, but for me personally, I don't want that because I don't want anyone to come back and, and challenge my motives and my motivation. I have a right to things and I have a preference for things, but I'm willing to lay that aside for the purpose of reaching people with the gospel of Jesus. See, a fixed mindset says, how does the church meet my needs? How do, what do I get out of it? Right? Is this the style of church that I prefer? And is it convenient for me to attend there? Right? Is it convenient for me to be a part of ministry? How many of you know ministry is never convenient? It's always inconvenient because it infringes on our rights and our responsibility, our time, our preferences. Right? But a growth mindset doesn't say, how does this feed me? A growth set mindset says, how can I be a part of what God is doing? How can I be a part of a church where God's doing something? You know, what do I get out of it is uh, changed by what do others need in order to be ministered to? You know what I love about our church? Our, well, one of the things I love is that we're intergenerational. I love, I went to Koinonia on Friday night. It was amazing. I went to uh, the youth and uh, middle school kickoff on Wednesday night. It was amazing. One had cake, the other one was smashing up a, a car. It was, it was incredible. It was incredible. And then we all come together on Sunday and we worship God together. We lay aside our preferences and we worship God together. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. 
How many of us an inconvenience for me to have two services? Just for me personally, I'm just saying, like, I gotta preach twice. I'm gonna, gonna be, I'm kidding. I'm so excited about it. I'm like, I get to preach twice. Maybe you're here and you're like, oh man, I get to come to church twice. If you preach as good, I'll just stay for the next one and see it again. How many of you ever watch a movie? You're like, I've already seen it, but you're like, I wanna watch it again, right? Maybe you're here and you're like, well, I went to church in the first service, but I get to work with the kids in the second service. That's amazing, right? You got opportunities. The worship team, they're like, yeah, we get to play more. They love it. Worship teams always love to play as much as they can. But a growth mindset says, and I got this statement from our community engagement team. As they've been working through all the stuff our church is engaged in, this is the statement they've been working with. How can I serve here? How can I love here? How can I help here? A community engagement team, they started the food pantry last year as they set up the Shop of Wonders, as they continue to say, where can our church be involved in our city and our region? This is the question that they've been asking. How can I serve here? How can I love here? How can I help here? How many know that if the body of Christ, the church, if we have this growth mindset, instead of saying, what do I get out of it? How is this gonna inconvenience me? You know, what is this gonna cost me? Instead of that, we come into this mentality of how can I help here? It's an amazing thing. See, Paul, he used to stand in judgment and condemnation of others. But now he's leaning in to plant the seeds of the gospel. I don't know if you experienced this or not, but it's easy to stand in condemnation and judgment when we're distant from people. It's easy to stand in condemnation and judgment when we see ourselves as separate from others. But when we lean in, we find grace. We find connection. We find God at work in places we never experienced or never expected to find him. For me, one of the most powerful moments was when I had lunch with someone who was so different than me. I was on a missions trip to Winnipeg. I was the pastor, but I was leading students on this missions trip. And part of the experience was to experience what it's like in living unhoused, to live on the street, to live uh, with the homeless. And so part of what we were doing is we had lunches that we had packed, and we've been doing this work all week in the city of, of Winnipeg. And our assignment was simply this, take a lunch and take a second lunch and go and find someone to have lunch with and talk to them. Get to hear their stories. And so our team, we got up and we were out and I was out, I had a few kids with me and we, like we were told that there was this one section of town that was like the red light district. This was the area that we were uh, going to and we were doing a little bit of ministry there but there was a, a lot of prostitution happening. And as we were there, our guide had told us the night before that this one specific corner was known as Desperation Corner that on that corner, people who were desperate, that weren't having the business that they wanted, would go to that corner and sell their business cheaply. Desperation. And as we were there that day, we saw a male prostitute on that corner. And this guy that we were with was shocked. He said, you would never see a male over there because the pimps don't want that, they, they, all kinds of stuff. And now I don't know what you think of when you think of a male prostitute. But if you think of like a leathery, brown-skinned construction worker kind of guy, grizzled, you know, just... And so this man was on this corner, and it was strange to see him wearing short shorts and a crop top, and just 
Very strange. And as we were walking by, he said, do you have anything? And I thought, I do. I have a lunch. And I'm supposed to share a lunch with someone who has a different life experience than I do. And so this person has got the farthest from the way that I am. So he did. So I had lunch with this male prostitute. So we gave him bag lunch. I opened up my sandwich. He opened up the sandwich. And then there's a bag of chips in there. And as he got to the chips, the man passed his chips to me and said, would you open this for me, please? And I realized at that point that he had no fingers. He couldn't open a bag of chips. And as we got talking, I said, what happened to your hands? And he told me his story that as a construction worker, he had a great job, but he was into uh, drinking and he was an alcoholic. And one night he was drinking and he passed out in the street and he fell into the snowbank and passed out in the middle of a, a Winnipeg winter. And as a result, he had lost all of his fingers to frostbite. Because he couldn't work, he, life began to unravel. And as he became more and more desperate, he became more and more destitute to this place that I found him on this corner called Desperation Corner. And as I looked at him, as I shared lunch with him, this person who's the farthest thing from the lifestyle that I live, I looked at him and I couldn't help but see the humanity. Instead of standing back in judgment and condemnation, thinking, why would you do that? Why what kind of lifestyle have you pursued? Instead of that, I saw brokenness, I saw desperation, I saw someone that God loves, that someone God created, someone, a human just like me. And in that story, as I leaned in, I felt the heart of God in that moment, in the least expected place. It's about connecting. Paul says, I try to find common ground with everyone. If you look for it, you'll find it. If you look for common ground, you'll find it with everyone. Now, real quick, I want to share something with you because I want to give you tools on how to have a conversation. I want to talk to you. We often want to connect. When we're having a conversation, we're trying to connect, right? We're looking for a connecting point. And so for what happens is we connect, we swap, we swap stories, right? When someone tells you their experience, you try to relate to them. You say, oh, yeah, I've had similar experience. You know, what happens when someone says to you, oh, I've had a really busy week at work? And we would say, oh, me too. Me too, right? And we're trying to connect. But one of the things that uh, sociologists have shown us is that some of us are really bad at conversation. Because when we're always trying to connect, instead of supporting the people that we're talking to, sometimes we shift the conversation away from them. There's a supporting conversation and a shifting conversation. What I mean by that is that when someone tells you how bad the traffic was, right, and what we've done is instead of hearing them, we've shifted it to us, right? When someone says to you, oh, man, I need to get new shoes, we say, oh, yeah, me too. These ones are worn out. What have we done? Shifted the conversation from them to us. But a supporting conversation is actually trying to open up an opportunity to hear what they're saying, you know, instead of saying, oh, I'm so frustrated. My boss has been really frustrating. You're like, oh, let me tell you about what my boss does. He's the worst, Right? Instead of that, we're trying to lean in, trying to connect, trying to find an opportunity, and so we want to be supportive. And so the way we do that, instead of saying, hey, I'm really busy at work right now, instead of saying, yeah, me too, we say, tell me more about what you're working on, right? When you say, oh, man, my, my shoes are worn out, instead of saying, oh, yeah, mine too, I need new ones, we say, 
Tell me about what it is that you want to buy. What's next for you, right? We, we need to not shift the conversation. These t- there's two tools. How many know when someone's really embarrassed and they're like, oh, like, oh, I can't believe I did that. And we want to shift it away from them. Yeah, don't feel bad about it. I've done it too. That's an appropriate time to shift the conversation away from them. But there's times when we need to be supportive. You know, when they're saying, hey, I'm going through a really rough time. You know, a loved one's passed away. Oh yeah, me too. I, I, in that moment we say, tell me more about how you're feeling. Tell me more, because here's the thing. When we believe that the Holy Spirit's already at work in everyone everywhere, we as Christians are coming alongside by the power of the Spirit saying, God, help me to make a connection. Help me to find that common ground. Help me to find that place where I could pour into with love and grace. Help me explain the the presence and peace of Jesus Christ. Help me to find that connection. And so what I want us to do this week is pay attention. How many times do we shift it back to us? And instead, let's ask more powerful questions. When someone tells you something, say, tell me more about that. Tell me more, what are you experiencing? Tell me more, what are you thinking? Tell me more about where you're at. And let's listen to the Holy Spirit and discover these points of connection and plant and water the seed as God gives us the opportunity. Amen? Everyone everywhere starts with someone somewhere. So I hope you're excited about it. If you're not already, get in the life group. Come 6.30 Tuesday, the big group life group is gonna be meeting here at the church. If you're already in a life group, you're already set to go. But we're gonna be on a journey. In just a few weeks from now, we're gonna have Full Send Week. Full Send Week is gonna be everything in their life about what God's done in their life. Can you imagine if we had one week where we all said this week, no matter what it takes, we're gonna make a plan for us to share with somebody about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know, I don't think that every seed's gonna grow necessarily, but I think some of the seed's gonna grow. We're gonna make two, we're gonna have two services. We're gonna have more rooms. We have to fill it somehow, right? We're gonna plant the seed and say, God, would you take it and make it increase? Lord God, I just thank you today for this incredible opportunity to worship you together. Lord, I pray all across this room that we would be inspired, not afraid, not fearful of sharing what you've done in our life, but we'd be inspired that we would believe that you're up to something good and that we get to be a part of it. In Jesus' name we pray.